Hello and welcome to E3, Energy and Efficiency with Emily. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about architecture, building science, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. Welcome back to the podcast. This is actually going to be the last podcast we're going to do in 2019. So thanks for tuning in. Um, Last night at Performance Building Supply, we actually had a really awesome conversation about the pretty good house and how that applies to renovations. So I'm going to try to recapture what we talked about last night and some of the things that I found really exciting about the discussion. So to kick the discussion off, our fearless moderator, Dan, uh, decided to start with just a part of the building. And as building scientists, we often talk about basements because they can be uh, the critical point in a structure. They can make or break a project. And um, Chris actually happened to mention during the discussion that, you know, he recently met with a new client who wanted to do a renovation and they were talking about all of their ideas and they said, okay, let's go on a tour. And we went to the basement and they said, how much was your budget? Cause uh, you're going to spend it right here. So unfortunately we often find things in the basement that are not what we want to find or expect. Um, especially here in Maine, we have some of the oldest housing stock in the country. And so we're, it's fairly common to find, um, rubble stone basement walls, wet or dirt basements, damp basements, even if they are not actively wet, um, cold and uninsulated walls. Um, You might have radon. Most of the state of Maine is a radon state, so it's actually uh, pretty common to find radon. And in older structures that have rubble stone basements that have continually dried out for years and years and years, um, radon hasn't been an issue. But when we start thinking about energy improvements and creating a better space in the basement by getting rid of moisture and moisture vapor and creating an insulated surface so it stays warmer, we start to encapsulate radon inside the space. So where it may not have been an issue before, it can be an issue moving forward. So we also often find in basements um, critters and insects, whether those insects are carpenter ants or larger rodents that have burrowed their way through path of least resistance into the structure. Um, there is often associated structural issues, either with the amount of moisture that is in the basement itself, you know, you have rotted, dry rot, um, wood structures, and you know, you have sinking beams and, uh, or oftentimes you'll find the old lolly columns and they're rusted on the bottom and they've slowly be getting shorter. Um, all kinds of structural issues that you can find, uh, cracked slabs that are now allowing water to come up from under the slab. Um, and some of an evergreen actually made a really good point um, about deciding where the water was coming from. Is it coming through your walls? And then do we need to address the water issue um, by doing drainage on the outside, both digging away the foundation and p- possibly putting in, you know, crushed rock and perforated drain pipe, doing some kind of exterior waterproofing membrane, gutter systems, somewhere where you can direct the water away or... Um, when I was doing a lot of energy auditing, we often found in the Lewiston area, some of the houses built in the 40s, um, they were built in an area that had a really high water table. And so they were actually more like floating slabs and they had um, basically ponds underneath them and they had water vapor that was coming up through the slab and not necessarily through the exterior walls. So 
The other things that you can find in basements and things that you're trying to renovate is access. Um, what's the access into the space? It was fairly common to find um, a really large old heating system and the access was this big window that they shoveled either coal or wood down in through and into the basement surface areas. Some of them have bulkheads which are very leaky from both air and water and other places have you know just traditional basement windows that you know they open and unfortunately in the summertime keeping those windows open is actually the opposite of what you might want to do if it's 100% humidity and you allow that humidity into your cool basement air then you can have condensation issues even in the summertime um and then utilities um what do we have in the basement and this is for me where you determine where you're going to seal or uh, insulate if you've got a heating system if you've got plumbing if you've got electrical if you've got any kind of utilities or systems in the basement then you either need to move them out of the basement and insulate the floor and let your basement be a cold space or you need to insulate the walls of your basement which then means treating the floor surface and the walls and any moisture vapor and water vapor that you have in that space and so that kind of leads to the next thing that we talked about which was the decision tree where when you're going to do a renovation and a pretty good house how do you decide what you're going to do for a renovation and uh, if you listen to the last podcast that I did with Mike Maines the answer is it depends and Oftentimes that can relate to, um, you know, what you have. Uh, I often say when you're renovating a structure or you're thinking about a cold climate, if you're going to go out in a cold climate in order to stay really warm, you're going to wear boots and a hat. So that applies also to how you look at improving a structure. You're going to have more issues generally or lose more heat or create more water vapor from um, both the basement and the attic areas. So first decision tree is where to start, what to insulate first. You know, do I insulate the basement and do I have a water problem? If I have a water problem, where does that come from? That's mission critical number one, because as we build tighter structures, we have to understand where's that water going to go and how's it going to dry out in the structure? Because in the 1800s, when there was no insulation in these buildings and they had leaky rubblestone foundations, they just dried out naturally because they were leaky. But we're trying now to use less heating oil to live in these houses, be more comfortable in our spaces, not have the draftiness. Um, nobody owns the back 40 anymore to go and cut down wood. Nobody wants to cut down wood, even if they do own the uh, back 40. And I mean, I generalize when I say nobody. Uh, there are still plenty of people who love to work outside and are happy to cut down wood and put it in their wood stove or wood boiler. But as a rule of thumb, probably the 400,000 houses that we should renovate and insulate and weatherize here in the state of Maine, most of those people aren't going to be the person that wants to go out and cut down wood and spend the time and energy that it takes to to get enough wood to keep the house warm and not worry about how much it costs or how much oil you're putting in it or how often the oil tank comes to the house. We also have um, some of it, somewhat of an aging population as well. And so as you get older, you are maybe less likely or 
less interested in doing some of those labor-intensive things like that. So coming up with a solution to how to weatherize and improve the structures in a renovation is critical. And the most critical point of that is once we start air sealing and tightening a home, we need to know where that water is going to go, how it's going to get into the structure, how it's going to get out of the structure, and how that structure is going to dry. So mission critical decision tree number one is do you have a water problem, a water vapor problem? Does the roof leak? Does it need replaced? Does the siding leak? Does it need replaced? Are you missing flashing details on your windows? Does the basement have a dirt floor? Um, do you have a rubblestone foundation and you shovel the silt out of your basement every year because the water pushes the dirt and the silt into the basement? What is going on in your house? So decision tree, number one, water. I think the next question that came up uh, a bunch last night's discussion was, why are you renovating? Um, are we adding a bump out and a kitchen to your house? And then is it valuable both uh, economically and for um, energy performance reasons to do the best that you possibly can on, you know, one wall of your house or one section of your house if the rest of the house is never going to uh, meet up to that code level. And the discussion actually went back and forth between, you know, a lot of different things is, you know, if we're gonna build, should we just build to the best level that we can? Should we try to cut down as much uh, carbon offsetting as we can? And economically, is there a point at which it just doesn't make sense to do a double stud wall on an eight foot kitchen bump out when the rest of the house has two by four studs and, has uh, drafty old single pane windows and potentially has no insulation in the attic or the basement. Someone actually made a pretty good and viable suggestion, which is when you're doing a renovation, uh, starting with an energy audit is always a really great way to move forward because you're you're investing time and money into some expansion that you have and maybe there are some simple things. They brought up a point where um, the insulation contractor was on site. They were actually doing a kitchen remodel, but they were also doing some energy upgrades and so they were having uh, insulation blown into their attic. And the insulation contractor said, hey, I'm here. Well, you have that cabinetry apart and the wall open. I can, you know, air seal and insulate this wall. And that was one of those cases where economically it just made a lot of sense to do it, especially because that wall was a north facing wall. And so they had had potential problems before that, um, you know, they had pipes freeze and the kitchen was on the north side and it was on the cold side of the house and they had to take that into consideration. So sometimes it definitely makes sense to economically do the best thing that you possibly can in other cases, um, you know, we certainly want to build as, as well as we can, but maybe it's not to the level of the double stud walls and R60 in the ceiling and R40 in the walls and, you know, R20 in the slab. Like maybe doing a two by six wall with a really good air seal and a layer of exterior uh, rigid insulation, um, either wood fiber, maybe a Roxel insulation uh, came up last night. We talked a lot about carbon offsetting. So pretty much no foam, anything but foam, but a layer of insulation on the exterior of the house. And that might be really well done and, you know, just as good for, for what you're doing on the small addition. So why are you renovating? Are you renovating because your bedroom is so cold that it's unbearable to be in there? Well, and then that case, you might want to start looking at 
How do we improve the air uh, infiltration of the house? How do we improve the insulation? How do we improve the basement space? Um, So there are different reasons. And that goes back to the decision tree, which is if there's some reason that you're doing an upgrade to your house, like maybe you need new siding. uh, That's a great opportunity to look at, can I improve the building envelope while I'm replacing the siding? Um, If you're not replacing the siding, but you're doing some big interior project and you're taking the walls down, maybe you're insulating to the interior. And if you've got an old 1800s farmhouse that's 4,000 square feet, maybe you can afford to give up some interior wall space. And building a double stud wall on the interior is simple, it's easy, and it's easy for pretty much anybody to understand. So there's value to doing that. If you have a 900 square foot cape, then insulating to the inside is probably not going to be the best case. However, there were carpenters there who brought up really good suggestions like what if instead of doing a full double stud wall and having a 10 or 12 inch thick wall cavity, what if we just double strap the inside and we get an extra layer of insulation and a thermal break on the inside. So that might be a great solution. You've got old plaster walls, they need to come down, they're not in good shape, so we're going to strap the inside and we're going to add more insulation to the inside. I will say that um, we've tried a lot of different wall systems and things that we've done in new construction and we did try once uh, adding a strip of rigid insulation um, only on the stud to increase the depth of the wall cavity and it was very labor intensive and the framer afterwards said I thought we would try this. I thought this would be easier than doing a double stud wall and it ended up being so much more work and I wouldn't do that again. So There are pros and cons to every solution, but going back to the decision tree, if you're replacing your siding, it may make sense for you to do an exterior solution, exterior insulation. If you can't do exterior insulation because your overhangs aren't deep enough or the it's not cost effective to to add, you know, ten or twenty thousand dollars to the grand scheme of the outside, or um, there was a heat pump contractor there who talked about He had an evaluation done on his house. If he added, you know, an exterior level of insulation, he could put in an 18,000 BTU heat pump. But if he didn't do that, um, no, sorry, that was backward. He could put in a 15,000 BTU heat pump. But if he didn't do that, he could put in an 18. And the cost difference between the two of those um, wasn't worth the investment of adding that extra layer. So he just did a really good job air sealing. And, you know, maybe he would put a PV on the roof and, and offset that. Um, that was actually a point that I brought up at the meeting, too, was we don't necessarily know where we're buying our electricity from. I mean, you can, you can specify on your electricity bill that you want to buy it from renewable resources. um, And it's possible to do that. You can pay a surcharge to do some of those things. And lots of people are, are trying to do it that way. As we're moving to a lot more all electric houses with heat pumps and electric cooking appliances and electric water heaters. Um, We just need to be cognizant of where our electricity is coming from, because if you have a seven-year-old oil boiler that still works fairly well, you've already used up the carbon to to get that system itself. If you then swap everything out and you're not going to use that as a used boiler in some other location, um, and you put heat pumps in your house, but you're 
your electricity is uh, apparently fit more than 56% of electricity in New England is made from natural gas. And so if you're offsetting an all electric house with electricity, that's natural gas, are you making it more efficiently than you were prior to? Um, and so those are things that as energy professionals, and you've heard me talk a lot about how we have a, a global warming potential problem that we are producing too much carbon in the built industry and that we just need to take that extra step of thinking about how is the electricity being produced what are we using to get there and you know how quickly is this all going to you know come together uh, before we can get to a point where you know electricity isn't made from fossil fuels which leads to another part of the discussion last night, which was that um, does it make sense for us to renovate some of these structures? So obviously, if you have an 1800s farmhouse that doesn't have any insulation in it and you're blowing through 500 gallons of oil in a week, you you should take steps to to minimize the amount of carbon that you're burning to heat this house and, uh, you know, go through the steps, but you're going to produce a lot of carbon if you have to use spray foam to spray foam your basement area. And do you spend the money to take all of the utilities out of the basement and isolate the basement to create a foam-free environment? Do you continue to just burn through oil, um, and say, you know, it's going to create more of a carbon impact for me to, to weatherize and insulate this house than it's going to for me to just keep burning oil and be, you know, happy and uh, slightly uncomfortable in my drafty house. Um, do I uh, insulate the floor system? And if you're going to insulate the floor system, then you definitely need to think about any type of piping, plumbing, uh, utility that you have in that basement space, um, or also the structure that you have down there. So say you have a dirt floor in the basement and you've got water in there and you've just decided that it's going to be easier to isolate the floor system and maybe take all of your plumbing out of that or bury it in the insulation and, um, put a vapor barrier down. But now you've encapsulated a bunch of old wood structure that used to dry out and, it's potential that it's not going to dry out anymore and could it rot and how are we going to address that and is the vapor barrier in the right location so that you're actually not pushing moisture down from the upper floors which are warm into that cool floor surface which is over top of your basements so hence another reason why I'm pro no basement I say that all the time the uh, evergreen home performance gentleman actually said, you know, when we come in and we encapsulate these basements, even when we do wall systems and vapor barriers and, you know, a membrane, we're actually we're creating reverse swimming pools. And so you have to be really careful of that. It's not a, uh, a final complete solution. Um, it's definitely a solution, but it might be one that you have to maintain, one that you have to check on. Um, you want to make sure that you're not storing your uh, Christmas decorations and your antiques on top of it and perforating holes in that membrane. So there are so many things to take into account if you are attempting to uh, isolate your basement space from the rest of your house. Um, we actually didn't talk a lot about attics and there's 
plenty of things to talk about when you're when you're doing a renovation. Oftentimes your basement and your attic are easy to access, they're easy to get to, and they're some of the more low-hanging fruit to take a tube of caulking into the attic and lift the fiberglass insulation and seal penetrations through that. Um, it's not a pretty job, it's not a job that a lot of people enjoy doing, but it is something that can be uh, easy to achieve versus, um, you know, adding a layer of exterior insulation before you add siding, which maybe needs strapping, which then has flashing details and extension jams for windows and doors. You're adding a lot more levels of complication to doing a wall surface area. And when you talk just strictly building science, you'll get more from the attic and the basement than you would get from wall surface, just the way the Delta T works and how heat moves through spaces. So we didn't talk a lot about attics, but you know, it might be one of those things where you can add uh, five more inches of cellulose insulation and have a major impact on your heating system. And then maybe you don't swap out that oil boiler that you have because in order to get to a solution where a heat pump would work for your house, you'd have to add foam or you'd have to add $20,000 to the structure or you'd have to replace your roof or um, a system. So a lot of times when we talk about pretty good house in relation to renovations of structures is when you have to change a system, that's when you want to start thinking about that. If you have to replace the roof, maybe that's a good time to add a layer of insulation uh, under the roofing before you put new roofing down. Or if you have to replace the siding on the house, maybe that is a time for you to add exterior insulation. Or if you are doing some kind of major renovation on the house and you're taking out old plaster walls or um, you know, maybe your house was from the 70s and you've got uh, paneling and you're taking down the paneling, maybe that is the opportunity to uh, improve the structure. And the most low-hanging fruit that you generally can do is air sealing. Um, it's usually the easiest and most cost-effective way to really reduce the consumption of your house. A lot of air sealing methods um, minus spray foam, which is not the air seal that everyone thinks that it is because as soon as the structure dries out or changes, it separates, you have a crack, you have a major leak in your structure. So um, we obviously are not pro foam and we try to use spray foam as little as we can. Um, there are some cases where it's necessary. There are some cases where it's the option, um, like we mentioned, rubble stone foundations. There's just not a great way to treat that any other way when you have a rough surface. Um, but again, back to the first part of the decision tree on doing a renovation is air sealing is obviously one of the best ways to save money in your structure, but it also is the easiest way to trap moisture and radon and contaminants within your structure. So you really have to think about how you're going to air seal, where you're going to air seal, and how that's going to change the dynamics of the house. We, um, or I should say, I often refer to that as house as a system. So when you change one part, that'll have a direct effect on other parts of the house. And so we want to take that into account as we're making improvements and we're renovating structures. 
And along with talking about, you know, encapsulating moisture from maybe a wet basement or a moisture source is also when you do decide to add insulation, whether it's wall insulation and you change the dynamics there, or you add cellulose insulation, or you change, um, you know, you have your spray foam and your rubble stone basement is, you know, how is the moisture migration through the house, through the structure? And so we want to be careful if you listen to the WRB talk that Mike and I did last week, that, you know, you need to have a vapor open structure depending on what you're doing. Um, There was some discussion on when you're spray foaming a basement wall, and there was a lovely uh, picture that uh, was drawn by Chris while we were standing there. Um, A lot of the old houses have a Uh, old wood timber, you know, an eight inch timber that makes up the box sill and it sits on top of a rubble stone wall. And if you're going to spray foam, where do you end the spray foam? Do you run the spray foam up over the rubble stone wall and do you cover and encapsulate that timber? Well, that timber is used to drying out. Um, It might have had one of those great coal fired octopus of a hot, uh, forced hot air heating system in the basement and it was hot all the time and Dan brought up a you know really great point which was when you're deciding in your decision tree whether you're going to insulate to the inside or to the outside is if you aren't doing to the outside you may not necessarily know what is under that siding is there tar paper all over the side of the house um did somebody cover it completely in ice and water shield um you know did it have splashback and you've now enclosed that timber on the inside with spray foam and it's getting splashback from the ground and it's rotting from the outside so you have to be so careful about um the direction that you decide to go when you're doing a renovation project, because you could be encapsulating something that was perfectly fine for a hundred years because of the way that it was. And now we've changed the dynamics of that. But after talking about, you know, insulation and air sealing, which often have pretty good paybacks on them, we've talked about swapping out heating systems. I mean, heat pumps are really fantastic. We are so pro heat pump, but, uh, you know, a heat pump isn't necessarily the solution to a whole house heating strategy. Um, You know, if you've got a boiler that runs 180 degree water through your boiler system and you aren't doing any energy improvements to the walls, to the ceiling, to the basement, a heat pump may not be able to keep up with your house. And certainly the last thing that we would want to see happen is backlash on heat pumps because they're installed in areas that aren't correct. But the heat pump installer did make a very valid point, which was maybe we just need to reduce the amount of heating that is required to come from your boiler system. So maybe we put a heat pump in the living room that increases the heat in the living room area. It's more of a point source spot heater and we've cut your you know, oil usage or gas usage by 50% because we're keeping the space where we want to be warm and cozy much warmer and much cozier without using as much oil or gas or um, fossil fuels to heat that space. I thought that was a really great point to bring up in Pretty Good House is maybe that's a good solution for Pretty Good House. Um, So HVAC improvements, swapping out to all electric houses, heat pumps, um, doing those energy 
performance pieces first before you go to an all-electric, all-heat pump house. Um, heat pumps don't distribute heat in the same way either. A lot of them are mini splits, they're point sources, and so they don't have the distribution. So if you've got a leaky old structure, we've talked about this in a number of different uh presentations that I've been in everywhere from, you know, passive house to um, this pretty good house discussion is it's hard to have a continuous air barrier when you're talking about an existing house, an existing structure, because you're working around things that are all there. Um, one of the other points that came up during the discussion was, you know, how do you insulate the, the band joist? And unfortunately, you know, spray foam in the band joist is really hard to take out again if you ever need to make any kind of modification. And so when you're doing these spray foams, we're, we're basically gluing together this whole structure. But it also occurred to me that I've never been in a renovation project or in somebody's basement where it didn't seem to have plumbing or wiring or some other kind of utility that ran through that space. And so once you spray foam that in, it's really hard to cut it out and change it and not affect what's in there. So it maybe isn't the best solution for, for that area. And again, that leads back to you know, do we do rigid insulation on the exterior? How do we seal these? Or my favorite is, you know, if it's a new house, no basements. Let's do away with basements. And I think the last point then in the discussion was renewables. At what point does it just make sense for you to put another PV panel on the roof and use more electricity to heat the house? As I mentioned, um, you know, if you have a 1800s farmhouse with no insulation in it, then it often makes sense to do insulation and air sealing first. Um, but if you have a 1980s house with fiberglass insulation in it, sometimes it's not worth taking all of that apart to to create this uh, deep energy retrofit space. It's not economically viable. You're using um, way more life cycle carbon to update that space than you would be to just uh, produce a PV panel or use a little bit of extra on that. Um, there are apparently some new technologies coming out all of the time that can connect, you know, CO2 to boilers and make them more efficient and very exciting on how we could change the dynamics. And somebody mentioned last night, and I think it's a very valid point, is the, the grid is what's going to save us all in the end. And whether that's point source PV being fed back to the grid. Um, I learned last night that Cousins Island has the biggest uh, battery backup plant. Um, and so that was kind of fascinating and really interesting to, to see that, you know, they're an island and, you know, when you're off the coast is what do you do? And they had for the longest time, I believe, an oil fired plant out there and they fire that up once a year. And for the most part, the rest of it is battery backup during peak times. Like when is the peak time? How do we make enough power to offset that? How do we store it? I think that the advent of battery backup is only getting better and better. Right now it's still a little costly to do it, but it's getting better and more efficient and people might be moving away from backup generators or the possibility of, you know, shutting down the grid tie to use your battery bank during peak activities. One of the things with CMP and net metering was supposed to be um, that you could tell when your usage was when you had high peak usage 
and that maybe we could concentrate on those times of the day to offset things. You know, do we have some kind of backup heat source that uh, provides heat just during those high electricity times? Do we specify on our electricity bill where we want our electric to come from, as opposed to spending thousands and thousands of dollars on a deep energy retrofit is, you know, maybe we offset or incentivize uh, renewable power and then some of these things aren't going to be as much of an issue because we do have a large housing stock that is part of the oldest in the country that does need renovation and should use less and should consume less and should be more comfortable to live in. But there's going to be a balancing point or a tipping point at which it doesn't make sense to make more improvements because we're actually using more carbon to make those improvements than we would be to produce power in a different way. So that was part of the really interesting, really fascinating discussion that we had last night at Performance Building Supply on renovations. Um, Hopefully this just spurns you into thinking about what you might do, how you might take that into account during your renovation, maybe you're doing a renovation, then we've done some renovations where we've done energy improvements that have saved the clients enough money that they've then moved on to other improvements. They've cut down on the amount of heat that they've gone and they're getting ready to put solar panels on their roofs because they're ready to make that move. So you never know, um, but the first webinar for Pretty Good House is going to be on economics, which is to do the best we can until it no longer makes an economic sense and taking carbon offsetting into account both the carbon cycle of what we've got and renovating existing structures instead of building more and at what point are we using more carbon to renovate an existing structure than we would be using to keep it the same and continue to make power in a different way so anyway that is the end of 2019 podcast for me thanks for joining in you can always reach out emily at matramarch.com if you want to suggest something that you'd like to hear for next year whether you want to talk about economics whether you want to talk about renovations whether you want to talk about new construction and zero energy construction renewables you want more technical information you want less technical information um, i'm here to provide the best information that I can for you. And um, I love to talk building science, architecture, and I'm really enjoyed the October series on uh, having females in construction represented. We're out there and we're enjoying it just like everyone else. So stay tuned. Montrem Architecture mission for 2020, soulful, eco-friendly community. So let's make that happen. Have a wonderful rest of your 2019 and we'll see you in the new year.